Welcome to VATIT, Mental Health and Media. This is Sedoma. I'm Rachel. On. I think we should give a disclaimer that... Albeit this episode will probably sound very petty and anti-Disney. We are not anti-Disney. This is, for the most part, tongue-in-cheek. I personally have some issues with Disney and their classical works and the 2D period, but this is no moral judgment for anybody who wants to turn up to the old Snow White Cinderella films. You, I might give them a, a eyebrow raise, but like, yes. you're not a trash person. Exactly. And see, I also think that there's a difference between genuinely just like watching something for enjoyment, and then what we're gonna do is thinking about these things from a intellectual perspective. And that doesn't mean we can't also watch these things not from an intellectual perspective, but just to just for funsies so yes i think rachel should start because she said she was like all gung-ho about this (laughs) i don't know about that but okay so today we are talking about disney princesses um this is something i have thought about since i was in high school because for one of my ap english classes i read a book called cinderella ate my daughter um and that is by a woman named oh what's her name Peggy Orenstein or Orenstein. I don't know how you say it. Um, it came out in 2011. And the basically the thesis of the book is that uh, raising daughters with um, Disney princesses can create and um, add to negative body image and unhealthy dependence on others and unhealthy expectations for a rom- romantic life, um, etc., so that's something I never really thought about growing up. Um, I like I loved playing with Barbies, but I didn't think I was supposed to look like a Barbie. But that's not to say that it isn't harmful for other girls to play with Barbies. So the same thing with Disney princesses. I don't see that much harm that personally came to me from watching them. But I do understand how as like a cultural phenomenon, it might not be great to be kind of the main message. And I also understand that I am very normative as like a straight white female so i think i'm i'm pretty sure i saw myself in the princesses a lot more than a lot of other people would so i'm sure that definitely played into me not feeling like it harmed me but my long (laughs) rambly point is that that book really changed my perspective as like you know 15 16 year old and really made me start to think differently about Disney and about princesses and to start to analyze what some of the underlying messages are. So that is why I thought it would be an interesting topic. That's funny. Like one of my um, articles I was reading was also from Peggy um, Orstein, Orstein from yeah. my gender communication class back in undergrad. Um, title is What's Wrong with Cinderella? It was more as a personal essay with citations and stuff woven in i think what's any kind of like what you were saying about like the that duality or like okay i really wasn't messed up by (laughs) watching cartoons 
but huh, this is kind of troubling. It's kind of my thought and kind of seemed like the direction Peggy was going was mm-hmm. the drop of water in a bigger bucket um, and just how things add up and themes presented on a mass scale. I think the coolest thing was also just like just as a source of pretty much everything in America, um, consumerism and corporate greed where Disney was having some financial issues and then one of the execs from Nike quit and went over to Disney, happened to see Disney on ice and all the girls dressed up as princesses with just generic dollar store princess gear. And it's like, oh, there's an untapped market. And just how that's on such a wide scale, but then kind of, like you were saying, kind of seeing yourself in the princesses as where that may or may not happen, where I think Tiana didn't come in Mm -hmm. until much later. And then even with Mulan, even though she hated wearing dresses and was always preferred pants and more masculine clothing, she's decked out in her kimono when she does appear with the others. Or you have maybe Tinkerbell or some other ones who are far more or less docile were always kind of excluded from those lineups. Yeah, Tinkerbell was always my favorite as a kid. Yeah. I think what something you're kind of getting at is the kind of baseline expectation for a Disney princess, especially when we were all children. We were all born in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. Um, and all the princesses we had were pretty much the same as far as like kind and nice and gentle and like would kind of rock the boat but in a very nice almost acceptable way and um none of them were like loud or abrasive or i don't know i guess like Belle from beauty and the beast is smart but none of them were like you know super super smart in one area like they were just kind of the same and as we got older and we're no longer children they started having new princesses to have some different characteristics but they're still in my opinion is quite the baseline of like kind of like cinderella just nice girl in a bad situation kind of tricks her way out of it but doesn't do anything that's like super i don't know abrasive i guess is the word i'm looking for yeah and going along that a lot of the stories have the princess kind of be that damsel in distress type character that ends up being saved by the man in one way or the other by the prince um and so that also kind of mixed with the like kind gentle loving kind of image of the disney princess i can see where there might be some concerns with that being given to any sort of child at a young age and the kind of messages that could send. Yeah, and I think the idea is that you want to empower children to um, be a healthy level of independent and to be able to solve problems um, with like kind of their own initiative. Like they obviously should ask for help and we as adults should ask for help, but you want to raise kids with the self-efficacy that they can figure things out and that they can uh, get the resources they need to work through something and that they don't just have to wait for someone else to come to it for them. 
What were you going to say, Vaughn? Uh, um, there is this one, um, it's not a full book, but a piece written by a Dr. Majore um, Worthington. I'm probably butchering her name. Who knows? I'm sorry, Miss Worthington, Sir Dr. Worthington, wherever you are. Um, <laughs> and it was called The Motherless Disney Princess. And it was just kind of walking um, through how... They're all orphans. With everyone, they're either orphans or um, their mom specifically is dead and they have a single dad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just, oh, they have a single dad, but that single dad is completely incompetent Um or he means well, but is completely <laughs> um, powerless. Yeah. Um, whether you're talking about the Sultan in Aladdin or Bell's King dad. Triton in Ariel, um, Belle's dad. Does Belle have a dad in Disney's version? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She has a dad, um, but he's like a these... fumbly guy. Yeah. Um, and you have essentially all these men incapable of saving their daughters from the evil um. witch or sorcerer or whatever. And um, Chad, a.k.a. Troy, a.k.a. Prince Charming, in his rough, bustling muscles, has to kind of come in and be daddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you and oh my god kind of, <laughs> and what she kind of went further was even in the marketing it's interesting that they never um interact with each other they're always staring off in their own different directions so it's kind of like you have a set of kind of like what you were saying rachel the sameness of we're all princesses or ever and dr worthington one point she had a kind of like a point of humor was kind of like if they ever did look at each other like okay wait a second it's like why is it that we were all written to have dead moms and competent fathers and not really have that much personality trees wait a second we need to actually do something here um and uprising so it was so that article definitely kind of made me think and it was just that like especially what's interesting is like with so many male protagonists too you still have like the dead parent trope which is, I guess, just a, I guess, a literary device so that you can have a child protagonist do stuff without wondering, where's your mother? Like we have with Dora, like, what kind of parents let her child run around the jungle? Whereas Dora's parents dead, you don't have to worry about that. What's interesting is just seeing that difference between, let's say, ah, they're all blanking out now, but like, why can't I not think of a single boy with dead parents? Like, I know there's so many of them. Um... A cartoon boy with dead parents? Yeah. Um, Hero from Big Hero 6. Oh, yeah, yes, Hero from Big Hero 6. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> um, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Spider-Man. What's Spider-Man, where you have... Um, where is, you have that almost contrast where you have the individual able to kind of take that death and that tragedy and that's a critical plot point for their development into adulthood and their caretaker if one exists is both well-meaning and is able to support them even if they can't support them within their plot related adventures at least emotionally and caring for their basic needs whereas with the princesses it's interesting seeing that 
never really overcoming yeah. that initial tragedy or even addressing it. Yeah, that's a good point. I think in some of the like some of the superheroes we mentioned, like Bruce Wayne, Peter Parker, the fact that their parents are dead kind of fuels their success and their ability to be a hero and like make something of themselves in their lives. And um, from my perspective with Disney princesses, the death of their parents or their mom mm-hmm. is like what's holding them back and like what has put them in this hard situation that they're just kind of waiting for someone to take them out of. I think we're seeing some internalized misogyny and, and patriarchy yeah. in these stories. Well, especially when you look at, I guess, yeah. Disney's versions especially in comparison to the original French, German, where you have Ariel. I guess it's interesting how Ursula's painted to be the bad guy, where Ursula seemed Mm -hmm. like just your neighborhood drug dealer who's like, yo, if you (laughs) buy cocaine for me, this isn't good for you. Are you sure you want to sign this legally binding contract that you want to do cocaine? Um... And areas, Ariel's like, bet. Only difference is it's her soul. It's like, hey, do you want to sell your soul for a boyfriend? <laughs> Are you sure? I'm doing a whole song and dance routine with sea creatures for four minutes just to give you time to change your mind. Oh, really? Oh, okay, sure. Here you go. And that's essentially the plot sure? of the movie. And it's, yeah. but it's interesting that when you look at the original. It didn't work out for Ariel, and then after she sold her soul, walking on human legs was almost like stepping on every step was like a shard of glass, to the point where at the end she turns into a sea sponge and is cast into the ocean. Um, where it's kind of like that. Maybe it wasn't the original author's intent, but it seemed to me to be a pretty good sign of a value your autonomy as a human being. Um, don't sell your soul for a boy or you could end up like her versus when Disney got their hands on it. It's happily ever after with Prince Eric, yeah. who you don't know, don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's a good point. It's like when Disney changed the endings of these stories, they didn't really change the conflict in them that much. Mm-hmm. So, like, the good lesson that you could maybe get out of some of the creepiness and scariness of the original fairy tales is, like, really lost by just having it work out somehow. Yeah, that was the whole point of, like, the Brothers Grimm fairy tales, where a lot of them are based off of, um, was that they have these, like, really tragic, kind of gruesome endings, and it's to prove a point and to, like... Like, each story kind of has a moral to it. Um, And it also shows that the world isn't all full of happily ever afters. Um, And so, like you said, changing it to have a happy ending, regardless of what happened, is also kind of misleading in a way. Like, if you expect everything to, like, turn out happy for you and your life kind of goes to shit as lives tend to do sometimes (laughs) you can be like hey i was i was told this is how it was gonna be and it's not um and can it can kind of breed some resentment towards 
the stories and what you were made to believe. Yeah, that was my experience with religion. So I relate to that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what, um, this means kind of like people had like, the I've heard the parallel was like, well, boys had Power Rangers superheroes, and they kind of grew out of it. Um, and then you have, yes, like, okay, well, Disney Princess, a lot of girls grew out of it. But I think it's, while one might not still be, like, have Tinkerbell's um, poster against your bedroom wall when you're in your 30s, it's still that themes are internalized within childhood. Even kind of getting to honest to basically, like, the Bobo doll study where you have, okay people beating up this blow-up balloon and kids mirroring that versus, um, oh, we're treating this kindly, we're going to treat that kindly. Um, then you have all these other more complex studies on um, social mod- modeling theory where people do kind of internalize that where you have, if you have one group, let's say, boys seeing... Um, Orphans rise up, overcoming their um, struggles and beating up bad guys. And you have another group where it's, we look pretty and twirl around and kind of just chill out until Muscle Dude saves us. Again, I need to read up on the official statistics and all that kind of stuff, but just from basic modeling and conditioning it seems like one group will internalize better value systems for adulthood than the other. Yeah, and then also on the flip side of the princess narrative, what is that telling the boys who watch that movie? Like, that really, I think, could lead to some unhealthy ideals about needing to save the woman you want to be with and having all that responsibility on you and even having that much power over someone else in their life that you could save them from their tragedy. I think, at least in my experience, I think a lot of us run into that in some of our first romantic relationships, like in high school years, where you're like trying to save someone, you're trying to fix someone. And sometimes it's hard to grow out of that even as you get older. But I think, I don't know, I, I would be interested to know if there's ever a way to figure out how much that princess, prince saving the princess narrative plays into... Mm-hmm how like early relationships look going off of that like all the disney princesses are like in their young adolescent like early teenage years and like it seems normal when you're like watching it at that age you're like oh yeah like why wouldn't the father let her marry that guy like they're meant to be you know and then as you grow older, I think you're able to look at it more critically and you're like, oh my God, you're 16. Why are you throwing away your entire life for this person you've never met? That's a little bit ridiculous. I think I will always share this everywhere I go with, um, this was just the radical, radical contrast between the original French Beauty and the Beast and Disney's um, and both how the prince is portrayed 
as well as how much of a just a badass Bell originally was, where you have even the everyone where you have yes, the father was a very wealthy merchant and he had ships and gold and a mansion and everything and there was Belle and then there, she had three sisters and she had a little brother. He just kinda of did his own thing. And then a storm struck and all the father's ships carrying his wealth got wrecked. Um so then they, the family went into poverty. Dad gets a letter that, hey, we think we found one of your ships. You need to come out and get it. So dad's like, okay, our fortune is safe. There should be enough on that ship to restart my investments. What do you want me to buy you when I get my gold back? And of course, all Bell's sisters are like, we want a yacht. We want a new Gucci bag. We want this. <laughs> we want a new Tesla. And um, Bell's just pretty much like, um, dad, you've been through a lot. Uh, just give me a rose or something like that. Um and he's like, okay, sure. So he goes out to get the ship and then turns out um, it's not there. Um, and or pirates got it or something, so he's still broke. So he's coming back. He finds this castle in the middle of the woods, goes in there, loads up all the treasure that's just magically appeared. And he's like, oh, cool. I guess ghosts are giving me their stuff. That's nice. He sees the rose guard and he's like, oh, cool. A rose for Belle. Picks it. Um... And then Beast shows up is like, you stole my favorite flower. I'm going to kill you. And he's like, no, please don't. I have kids. And he's like, are your kids single? <laughs> and he's just like, um, like, well, uh, uh, and the Beast is like, send one of your daughters here to marry me willingly, or I'm going to go into the village and murder everyone. Um, and so then dad just doesn't say anything. So he's just like, uh, I'll figure out some way around this. But I, so then Belle eventually sees, hey, dad, you look really stressed out. And is in the midst of all of her sisters still being like, dad, 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 where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? Belle is actually like emotionally mature, emotional intelligence. There we go. Um, and then he finally tells her and she's like, you know what? I don't want anyone to get hurt. Let me go. I'll sacrifice myself to the beast. So she goes and that's where it kind of starts playing out. There's no singing furniture and stuff. It's just stone statues everywhere and monkey servants. And then she has this window that she can see into anywhere on earth. Um, and every time she goes to sleep, she has this dream of this beautiful prince saying, run off with me. And she's just kind of like, um, uh, well, I can't because I made a promise to the beast for the sake of my family. And then eventually... Beast get a little bit close, but they're still more just kind of on this like a friendship thing. Time runs out, Beast dies, she goes to save him, and then he turns into the prince who then explains, Oh, yeah, I and then the whole prince's backstory was just mind blowing too. Because the main reason I read it was just because the whole cursing a 10 year old boy for not letting in scary old witches at night seemed kind of bold to me. Um, and he had a far more interesting way he got cursed. But within just that whole narrative, Belle, even though she still is within a, um, she lacks certain societal power just within the time she was in, you can still have a character who might not, who can be in a, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, you can still have a character who can be in a, disempowered societal role role with but still present them as a strong independent person if that makes sense okay so yeah i was just kind of seeing both 
her emotional intelligence kind of saying, okay, dad, what's wrong? And contrasting her compassion, immaturity with her sisters, who are just only concerned with material things, to her doing this ultimate sacrifice to, I will give myself to this beast, presumably to get eaten alive, or to be some type of weird bride. And just how so much stuff where it's just like, wow, this is a powerful woman compared to Disney. And then it was just kind of like, I think that's where the Disney princess thing kind of hits the most, is when you see what something could have been and originally was. And it's kind of the watering down to, I guess, the, a caricature of goodness and selflessness. That's interesting. I didn't know the original version of that. I think, I think that's a good point because everything you know, has to be thought of in the context of the time, you know? So, like, we're by no means saying that a movie that was written in the 80s should have the ideals of 2020 because it was a different time. But even something with Disney princesses is even within the context of the time, it does seem like the women are not very empowered, depending on your viewpoint. So I like your... Your point, Vaughn, that in, did you say it was the French version? Yeah. In the French version, she's more empowered. Which, women had more societal power in the, what year did Disney's come out? So Disney's came out in 1991. And it's just interesting that women had far more societal power in 1991 than they did in 1740. Yet... The 1740 Mm -hmm. version was far more, quote-unquote, feminist in empowerment Mm -hmm. than what Disney spat out in the 90s. Yeah. Did you guys have a favorite Disney princess growing up? And do you know why it was your favorite? Mine was Mulan. Um, I think I also liked Meg from Hercules. Um, but I haven't watched Hercules in a while, so I couldn't really talk about specifics as to why. Um, but Mulan, I think, is a badass. Um, <laughs> and I like that it's like, save save everybody first. Oh, and then maybe there's some attraction on the side kind of thing. Because um, it felt to me like in Mulan... She didn't go to war and impersonate a soldier to find love. It was more so to save her family, bring honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of other things that I've like read about Mulan um, and kind of how they created the movie and how it's set up that I also really like. Um, but we don't have to get into that right this second. I could talk for a long, a long time on Mulan. What about you, Vaughn? Did you watch Disney? I'm conflicted. Um, I know I always liked Princess Mm. Jasmine. That's because I think she had personality. And contextually, a lot of her stuff made sense to where you kind of see you had that sheltered princess sense of what this is going on i have no idea what's going on in my country but there's still that 
well, let me do something about it. And her happily ever after was not the priority for her. Mm -hmm. And then I think I also loved Meg because I think even though I guess I know there's some like diehard mm -hmm. feminist warriors who are going to be a man still saved her. <laughs> but like, I still, <laughs> what I still appreciate was that like, she had a very good reason to be in danger. Um, where it's like a, she loved her husband. She made a deal with the underworld um, to save his life. Um, didn't work out. She got tricked, and now she's essentially Hades' hench person for eternity. And I don't know, that's just such an intense storyline. I would love to see a whole movie just about her leading up to the movie Hercules to begin with. And even within her indentured servitude, she still has so much. She's still a person. It's like, okay, I don't like my situation, but let's see what we can do. Which one hand, I don't want to like minimize people who may find themselves in a horrible situation for saying, oh, you're not fighting back against your captors. You're trash. Like, no, that's... I feel like those situations are valid, but I think especially for media and especially media for children, it means a lot more and it does a lot more to show um, members of society who may traditionally be disempowered still holding on to their independence and autonomy in a bad situation so that kids can see, whoa, Meg was in a really, really crappy place, but she still fought back. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? Um, well, I always liked the princesses, but none of them really, like, stood out to me. Like, I wasn't a bigger fan of one of the princesses than the other. But I really loved the movie Peter Pan, and I loved Tinkerbell. And I don't... I obviously, like, in hindsight, I can intellectualize why I liked her, but in the moment, I think I just thought she was different and kind of funny, and I just felt like she had just some personality to her, and I think she stood up for herself probably in ways I wanted to, but wasn't yet doing, and I don't know, she, like, had some spunk, and seemed to kind of demand that she was treated fairly, which I'm that can be debated if she was or not, because she was like kind of in service to Peter Pan. But like um, when Jane comes, oh, Wendy, Jane is the daughter. When Wendy comes in the first movie, Tinkerbell is so jealous, um, which that is a weird little like, are they trying to sexualize all that? I'm not really sure. But she like made it clear to Peter Pan that she was jealous and she didn't hide her feelings. And I don't know, I think that aspect of her personality I liked as a kid. But Peter Pan as a whole was, was the movie that I really connected with on a lot of levels. I connected with a lot of the characters. So were there any princesses that you really had a hard time watching as a kid or found annoying, didn't like? I hated Snow White and Cinderella with a passion. Mm. 
This is like nothing happens. <laughs> I think like as a movie in <laughs> general, in it's Snow just White. like nothing <laughs> happens. This is just not interesting. Um, yeah, Snow White's which, really boring. So and I mean, if you're going into not interesting, and then like Sleeping Beauty <laughs> wins the contest, there. I hated Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> I didn't even like. I didn't even want like a Sleeping Beauty Barbie. Like I thought she sucked. And like even with that, like even like Prince, um, Philip, is like even he wasn't that interesting. It's just like. Whoa, you chopped down those vines. Well, you broke down. Oh, so we're just watching this dude just destroy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, for an hour plus. Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, I didn't like Sleeping Beauty at all. I thought she was really boring. I couldn't even like get through the movie as a little kid. <laughs> um, and I also didn't like Snow White. Her personality annoyed me just like the way she talked and it just felt very fake to me. I felt like I didn't know anyone like that. Um, but I did like Cinderella. I thought she was pretty and kind and she actually seemed like a, like a person, like there was some depth to her and like, you can argue Cinderella three. That's where it's at. Yeah. Yeah, I did like Cinderella 3. Yeah, uh-huh. But with Cinderella, I think I felt like... Um, I just felt like she had a brain and, you know, used it. And even though she uh, did eventually escape because of Prince... The Prince, I guess. He wasn't Prince Charming. The Prince. Um, I don't know. I felt like she still existed and she still had, like, the wherewithal to get herself in the position where the Prince could even save her. And that seemed better to me than like Sleeping Beauty or Snow White. What about you, Sedona? About one that I don't like? Yeah. I don't know if there's any that like stood out as ones that I just didn't like watching. Like I can't think of any. Half of the ones I can't even remember watching the movies, mm -hmm. even though I had to have because we had them. Um, but I don't know, like based off of like seeing them now, you know, some of the earlier ones, like you were saying, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, they seem a little boring compared to some <laughs> of like the ones now, I guess. Yeah. Oh, like, actually even kind of transitioning over to... The princes, I think, especially as as a guy that was because one hand I guess I can't complain because I guess men have overtaken literally every other animation studio <laughs> within the comic books and stuff like that. So I really can't complain for lack of good representation. <laughs> um, but going for it's more equal representation. Um, I think I appreciated Prince Charming from Cinderella because he seemed to be, from what I remember, he seemed to be a, just a genuinely nice guy. Like, oh, this chick forgot her slipper. Let me try to find it. And 
albeit you could dive deeper into the whole like why is he trying to marry people based on their foot size and for true love of love at first sight and all that stuff but just within just the basic model of who he was as a person saying like, okay he's a nice guy they've at least had a conversation and even if you're saying even if you're going the political marriage route comparison to where she was um it was like a you could even start pretending like okay let's say that it's a person political marriage they're in separate bedrooms or something like that let me just get you out of here so i would love to actually see like a full prince charlie movie and then i feel like this opens up the window back into beauty and the beast where the 1700s version the prince's mom was this super badass warrior queen who's always fighting in wars and um this evil fairy wanted to be his very godmother and the mom was like, nah, you creepy. But then she, on one of her conquests, she couldn't get back to the kingdom within a reasonable amount of time. And for whatever reason, this fairy was the only person willing to step up. So she's fine. So the fairy raises the prince as her own son. And then when he turns 18, somehow during all this time, the mom dies in war. Um, so when he turns 18, the fairy's like, hey... By the way, bro, I have could have been doing evil fairy stuff for 18 years, but I sacrificed all that time raising you, pay up, marry me so I can be the new queen. And then, of course, the prince is kind of like, oh, uh, you're practically my mom. I'd rather not. Plus, I'm 18. I want to, like... I was like, I'm 18. I want to get money and fuck bitches and go fight wars <laughs> like my mom. Um... <laughs> and so she turns everybody into this in the castle into a stone statue and him into a beast and um that's pretty much his thing so i don't know it's so like just seeing it would be so cool to kind of see not just the girls written in a 3d character development but even seeing the men opened up more I think both the princes and even their fathers just kind of seeing like let's see some real people some real consequences cause and events yes i think you're kind we're kind of starting to see that with some of like the newer disney princess movies um where moana yes moana is one of my favorites too i almost forgot but it seems like if there is a male person like in the tangled movie what's his name flynn rider flynn rider yeah and then like Kristoff in frozen oh, yeah i forgot about they're, frozen yeah they're more like 3d characters and have their own kind of backstories as well yeah that interact with the plot and influence how they are and i i tend to like those movies a little bit more than just the oh i'm a prince and i'm so handsome and charming and we're gonna get married and live happily ever after and then that's the only thing we know about them yeah that's looping to rachel's usual question if we could pick one person, I don't want to just say the Disney princess, but from the Disney princess traditional universe as a therapy client, who would it be and what would we do? 
So many options. There are a lot of options. <sighs> Maybe I think I would pick Cinderella. Um, because she's in her before the prince saves her, she's experiencing emotional and physical abuse from her stepmother and her stepsisters. And it's unclear how much abuse she suffered before the movie starts that we don't even see. So I think while I admire her ability to be kind, and I think that's good quality, it does kind of seem like a facade to me in some sense because she just has to have some pain and hurt and most likely anger from the abuse that she has and is still suffering, you know, at the beginning of the movie. And I would like to give her a safe place to explore that and to start to process that and to help her get some tools um, to start to work through all of that because I guess I'm not sure how fully alive she is or feels having not processed those, you know, horrible things that have happened to her. And I think I would also want to empower her without making any judgments on what she should or shouldn't do as far as her family goes. But I would want to help her see that she has more power over her experience of life than maybe she thinks she does, while also obviously validating the deep, intense pain she has from the abuse. I'm not trying to say that's not there, but at some point, a reframe is is helpful for people to start to enjoy their life again. I think I would go with Rapunzel. Um, because I feel like she also experienced mm. a very traumatic sort of abusive situation with the evil. Was she a witch? I'm completely blanking. The person that kind of like held her captive in the tower. She was just an old lady who found a magic flower. Yeah. 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 A creepy, a creepy old lady <laughs> who wasn't um, even who her mother. Is impersonating her mother. <laughs> yeah. Who is impersonating her mother. Yeah. Um because I think it would be kind of like the identity crisis that Rapunzel has to feel from like being raised to believe that one person is her mom and then kind of being thrust into the fact like this is actually my family and they've been missing me this whole time. Um, and also just that transition, I think would be really interesting to have like the family component as well, working with her mm. parents yeah. and her and trying to like transition her back into a family unit that she hasn't grown up in. Yeah, It would offer, I think, a lot of unique, different challenges with it. Um, and just, like I said, kind of dealing with the trauma that has to come mm -hmm. from kind of being locked away, being lied to, being Betrayed. used almost for the magical hair and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So I like that. I would, um. I'd be down to do family therapy with King Trident mm -hmm. um, 
Is it Triton? Triton? Trident? Disney changed the name. Off-brand Poseidon and Ariel. Um, <laughs> um, I just know everyone who knows their Greek mythology better than me just cringed, but forgive me. I think both helping him process, I guess, being a single dad and a king and in charge of the entire ocean while still trying to just raise a teenage daughter alone. Helping him kind of walk through that process and learning different coping and parenting skills. And I guess maybe don't respond with anger, even though that's kind of your thing. And then with Ariel, especially I think because there seems to be so much both restlessness of feelings of being trapped in the castle um was within the castle territory as well as seeming as a low self-esteem to where i am going to literally get rid of my thin and everything about me for the sake of something else and kind of exploring is it that you really are into Prince Philip, or is it this that you really just want a change and to see something other than the ocean and Prince Philip is just your window to the outside world and kind of exploring that and maybe helping the two of them comp- make a compromise to where Ariel can kind of get out and see more and have more power and freedom and acceptable range of acting out within her own life. And maybe trying to foster some more self-love in that, well, yes, you're not a human being and there's differences and you can't do everything that a human being can do. But what are some ways we can improve your life here? Or if for whatever reason we ended up to a point where it's like, okay, I really want to make this transition and trade in being a mermaid for a human let's go through the pros let's go through the cons and what does that look like and how cut off are you going to be from your family and all the different avenues so this will be like a year long like i promise like i i have not actually thought about i feel like that came out in a way that suggests that i just stay up at night thinking about doing therapy with ariel but that was just like <laughs> on the fly um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> imagine imagine what would come out if you actually had her as a client, Mon. That would that would be so fun. <laughs> it's like we're all training to do this or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I was planning just taking my diploma and just like hanging it in my closet, then continuing my true dream as yeah. an exotic dancer. gotta pay off the debt from the diploma right Right, right. (laughs) well i think we should call it yeah okay bye